0: Hello, everybody. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm Zach, and this is MZ Car Guys podcast. As usual, you can reach us on all the social media at
1: MZ Car Guys. And if you want to drop us a line, you can do it at MZ Car Guys at gmail.com. Listen to us on podcast, which you're most likely doing, so I don't have to tell you this. Matt, I want to do things a little bit different. So instead of starting at the front or in the back, let's 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 kind of start from the middle.
0: So you'd like to start talking about mid-engine cars?
1: Dear heavens, Matt, is that what we want to do?
0: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, at the risk of continuing discussion from last week, the C8 is an awfully big deal, especially with the news just the other day <laughs> that that the entire first run is already sold out.
1: I mean, I I I applaud as 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 you guys heard me last week. I I applaud Jenna Motors for hopefully getting it right. We we haven't we haven't driven one. We haven't anybody's driven one yet. Technically, you know that type of a thing. Um, So we're kind of waiting. We're we're waiting to hear, but from all intents and purposes, it sounds like they got it right.
0: It it does. Um, the one thing that keeps coming up in the mic, little corner of the automotive enthusiast interwebs, is is this thing about. The z z51 package which on the c7 apparently is what takes the car from being essentially a glorified rental car to being an actual sports car and there's looking at the same thing on this car where you're for the first time you're gonna have a mid-engine car in rental car parking lots
1: (gasps) oh yeah that's right
0: yeah and the problem is, if you see those cars on the street, you're going to look at it, anybody with any kind of automotive enthusiasm at all is going to look at that car, the rental car version, I mean, and go, it's nice, but something's not quite right. And it's the smaller wheels and the ride height. And apparently, there's a massive wheel gap on the base model cars, the, the, the vaunted $60,000 car, right? It just looks... Off it looks wrong, it looks a little cheap, like maybe the paint isn't quite right, so basically, what they're saying is expect to spend seventy to eighty to get a real corvette
1: so well and and I have to put this out there, so yeah, sixty thousand dollars, although not cheap, is for what it is gonna it's. You know, basically, you are talking. The rental fleet is going to be around sixty thousand. Yeah. But the amount of stuff that you get for it, and so forth, just the midst, just the fact that you're going to get a mid-engine rear-drive layout with, you know, over, you know, with between four fifty and five hundred horsepower. Um, General Motors likes to kind of sandbag their, you know, their 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 performance stuff. Um so Yeah, no, know. it's it's
0: right. I mean it's, it's, <coughs> since the beginning and definitely since the C four, the Corvette has always been about cheap speed. And that definitely continues to this day. The what's what's amazing and what's really impressive, I mean, objectively, is that they're getting closer and closer to having an interior, haven't done it yet, that catches up with the checks that the, that the exterior is writing and that the performance numbers are going to write that's and that 's yeah. very cool because it used to be that you 'd look at the car from the outside it'd be gorgeous and you'd journal the numbers and how fast it went and'd be great, and you get it in the car and go yeah.
1: oh so oh. so let 's kind of back this up just a little bit and kind of go over what what actually what we 're speaking of when we 're talking about mid engine because technically. A mid-engine is anything that sits between the axles. So, yes. um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so, like, like, technically, the the Honda S2000 with the AP1 and the AP2 are yes. both mid-engine cars because of the fact that the engine sits behind the front axle. And there's a couple yes. of other cars that are like this, that where they sit behind the you know the front axle. Um, and then you have, say, Porsches like 911s and so forth um rear engine rear drive that are not front engine because the rear engine technically sits behind the rear axle um well okay. but and you, there's a nuance of
0: that we're going to skip over that but we'll come back to it
1: yeah so anyways so when we're talking what we're speaking of tonight is not necessarily like the front mid-engine cars. We're talking about the rear mid-engine cars for the Anything most part. Right? That, yeah, right. for the most part. So we need to acknowledge that they
0: exist, but rear mid engine yeah. is the is the fun stuff. the really fun. Yeah. Stuff. So
1: yeah. So we're talking about that, and it it causes some design um so some design problems, but also some design solutions. So the reason why you normally have a front engine rear drive um, is the fact that you're able to get the best performance out of a rear drive car um, as opposed to like a front wheel drive car. Uh, But having the engine in the front, you're able to reduce the amount of uh, heat that the engine is when you do a mid engine car right now you have to really concentrate on making sure that you're keeping the heat down
0: right because just just to make it even more obvious for folks who can't visualize it which I understand is with a front engine you have the engine basically I want to say in the front, but basically right where the air is, where the, all the all the fast air is coming in, which means the yeah. radiator gets maximum cooling, right? So it makes it really easy to keep everything operating and humming at the right temperature, and everything is really happy and everybody's good, and you go really. Well, not
1: only the radiator because you can still have all the radiators up front, but you're also getting air blowing over the engine itself too.
0: Right, right. So it's yeah. So it's internal cooling via the coolant and the radiator. External cooling via the air going over the over the outside of the engine. All that stuff exactly. matters. It it's all part of the process. It all is important.
1: Yeah. And but when you do a mid-engine car behind the seat changes. Yeah. Now you now you're now you're relying so much more on the internal cooling of the engine, and not just the The external cooling which is why a 911 has the engine rear engine or yeah rear rear drive because the engine sits back far enough to where you can have um air inlets coming from and pushing down you know getting into it and blowing air across it
0: right what would be a trunk in a quote-unquote normal car is they're able to have these open slats right so the hot air being being warm, wants to escape, it wants to go up, which means cold air wants to fall, wants to go in. So all those things work out, which is why an air-cooled 911 used to be, well, it's still feasible. It's just not awesome. Um, it used to work, and it was it was great. So yeah. So you have things like, I'm just going to take an example of a car that I've, I've actually driven, um, the Alfa Romeo 4C. So mm-hmm. if you look at it on the front, it has two large intakes sort of set on the hips, for lack of a better word, but just in front of the of the rear fenders, And one of them is air that goes straight into the engine, the engine to, you know, burn and create fuel out of. And the other one is air that goes directly to the intercooler for the turbo to keep the turbo cool so the car doesn't blow up and catch on fire. And there's a third inlet at the base just in front of the driver's side rear wheel that is just for cooling the, the differential and all that's super important. It all, it all matters because there's that's the yeah. only area of the car. The entire front of the car there's no frunk, which we'll talk about more in a second it's the entire front of the car is all radiators that are circulating coolant that comes in hot and goes out cool to help, again, keep the car from catching on fire
1: basically yeah basically so okay so some of the now originally when like we're, so we're going to teleport ourselves back to like 1901 so like the turn, so okay. the turn of the century so engines it's so the automobile technically started off as a mid engine which is which is kind of weird Um uh, these were Yeah, basically, the the engine itself was directly underneath where people were sitting. Um, And that's because there was a lot of backfiring. There was um, a lot of, you know, seals weren't, you know, rubber or anything. Most of them were um, like cotton twine or something like that or like wool, like spun wool was the seal. And so you had oil kind of going everywhere and all of that type of thing.
0: Oh, so and that, you, because you could seal the top of the car, it kept all that gunk out of the passenger compartment.
1: Yeah. Well, basically it, it kept, so, um, basically what it did was, is it, it, because it was underneath, it kept all of that from coming up onto the people itself. Um, Makes and, sense. But you know, if you had it in front of you, also everything was chain driven back then um you really didn't get uh you know technically the auto car was the first one to use a drive shaft um but uh almost everything else was uh chain driven it was bicycles <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which were which had been all the rage for you know you know several decades before then.
0: And Sweet um, may made train drive work again in the sixties and seventies somehow.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, uh Jay Leno's Garage, I was just watching one on uh on his uh his latest project he was working on I'm going to show it just in a second. Um okay. so,
0: while well, Zach is looking that up. So, a couple of things. Um, if anybody who's sort of followed automotive news over the last couple of years remembers the story about the new NSX or current NSX, mm. testing around test tracks, particularly one where the entire engine bay caught on fire and essentially most of the car was lost. Yeah, And the engineers sort of went, oh, we have some work to do. And they realized that what had happened was the air intakes that they designed, which were beautiful and sculpted and this beautiful sort of angular look, weren't big enough. And it wasn't until they made them 50% larger than the ones they had originally designed that they were able to get enough air in the engine to cool the turbos and, and cool the cylinders and keep everything humming along nicely. Yeah. So that now it sort of... It does, if you look at it straight on it does sort of tread that line between looking off in terms of being out of proportion or looking like really aggressive. Like I must suck in more air. Um, kind of like the difference between say uh, the intakes on the four, five, eight or the four, eight, eight. Right. One's a turbo one's yeah. not, one needs a lot more air than the other one. And I think the four, really does just, just step on the other side of that line of being attractive because of helping big they yeah. to make their intakes.
1: Yeah, the, yeah if, if you're a driver, if, you're, if, you're, if you have a Ferrari because you're a driver, you pick the 488. Um, if you are a collector of cars because you think they're beautiful, then you definitely buy the 458. Or because
0: you like the sound. The 458, yeah. nothing will be the naturally aspirated oh, a Ferrari V8. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, I've, I've had the pleasure of hearing a few. I won't go into it. Live. And it is... Glorious.
1: Maybe, 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 at full boil, a Lamborghini V twelve. That I haven't heard, but I, but I
0: have heard for I have heard. Eventually, aspirated V eight Ferraris at redline,
1: and oh, even
0: from crazy. half a mile away, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, and you instantly know what it is. Uh, anyways, but. But what I was trying to talk about with Jay Little's garage, um, if you want to learn about chain drives and and how they worked and everything like that, uh, his 1934 Fraser Nash, uh, which he released uh, a YouTube video about four days ago, it's a car that he's been working on for like ever and ever and ever getting it restored and stuff. But yeah, it's Fraser Nash, which is a, it's a four speed chain drive. Wow. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, that's, anyway, that would be a huge
1: project. Well, anyway, when you have as much money as Jay Leno, you're allowed to have. A huge
0: <laughs> yes, you are. What was the for, the Ford Galaxy Resto mod he did? He put some god awful enormous engine in it. I don't know what it was, it was like 500 horsepower or something.
1: Just well, he has goes. he has like one of the only remaining like turbine powered Fords. Like the whole that's thing right. is actually powered by a turbine engine.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's one of the only ones in like I, I think it may be like the only one in like private hands that's not in a museum somewhere. Right. And although, just, although just his collection ahead. is bordering on a museum. I would I would if if anybody knows of anything out there or knows anybody or knows any way that Matt and I can get in to look at Jay Leno's collection. Oh God. Please and hit us up.
0: Just let us film. We're not going to ask questions. We're not going to annoy Jay. We just want to
1: film. I, I don't even know if I, I... I wouldn't even care if I filmed. Oh, I
0: You and I have to talk about this off the air. Um, but yeah. anyway, so so the, the, two, two things about Jay before we go. And I first preface, I am not a motorcycle guy. I'm a huge bicycle guy, but I'm not into motorcycles. But few people know Jay Leno has almost as many motorcycles as he has cars. I
1: believe he has more motorcycles
0: than cars. I I think you're right. I think it does vary from month to month. Um, (laughs) But uh, apparently, there's some motorcycle he has where there's two in the known world. One of them is in the vintage motorcycle museum in Solvang, Solvang. um, which is halfway between northern and southern California ish, and the other one is in Jay's garage. So, okay. So mid-engine. So basically, yes, if the engine is between the axles, it is considered a mid-engine vehicle. The 911 in this most modern iteration has moved the engine. So last I heard, and I'm not sure this, but roughly the engine is roughly 50% over and 50% behind the axle. Therefore it is still a rear engine car. It's yes. worth right. That which is really an odd thing to think about is that in a front engine car, the holy grail, right, of engineering is to have 50-50 weight distribution. So the same weight over the front wheels as over the rear. is really famous for this, ultimate driving machine and all that stuff. Which is something Corvette was able to do, like since forever, by moving the transmission. Yeah, the transmission basically to the rear axle. Yeah. The weight distributed correctly that way. The C8 is 60% over the rear axle. The new NSX is 60% over the rear axle. The Toyota MR2, rest in peace, was 60% over the rear axle. We can all see a pattern forming here.
1: Yeah, and and that's because if you have a car with a perfect 50-50 weight distribution that's actually not what you want. And I'll explain why. So what you want is is when you're coming around a corner, you want the car to be a little loose, which means that you want the back end to try to come around on you a little bit. And then emphasis, that way right.
0: emphasis it automatically emphasis a little bit. Not not much, a little bit.
1: Yes. So, so when it comes around, you actually rotate around the corner, but it still maintains its stability. So what you really want is you want about 45-55 or 40-60. You want 40% in the front, 60 in the rear. But if you have a mid-engine car, um, especially a mid-engine rear drive, you want to be able to come out of that. And be able to actually power through a corner as opposed to like say front engine, front drive, um, like on a Type R, even though a Type R is ridiculously fast, you still it still understeers or it's tight. So when you come into a corner and then you try to apply power, it doesn't want to rotate. It wants to go straight. It, so right. it wants to flatten out that curve as much as possible, you which you don't want it to do. It right.
0: wants to push you off the racetrack, front wheel first.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's why. So that's why you have you know <clears throat> a lot of um, a lot of cars early on. Once they were able to get the, once they were able to get the power out of them, that they needed to, and then. Um, you know, because engines for the longest time were big things. If you wanted more power, you just went to a larger engine. Um, and so, you know, which is sort of kind of what you had nowadays and stuff, but with nowadays you have actually improved the fuel delivery, you've you've improved the, um, you know the, the the combustion chamber, so you're able to make it more efficient. They didn't care one, t- they didn't care anything about efficiency um, back then. They just wanted to get a bigger engine, which is how you ended up with stuff like a 16 and <laughs> <laughs> you know. a half liter four cylinder. Extreme example, but relevant. Yeah, exactly. So once you got to like. I think it was like the late 40s. Yeah, 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 it was post war. So it was early 50s, late 40s when you started to see mid engine coming into, uh, you know, mid engine race cars really kind of starting to come into their own. You started seeing it in, you know, the grand, you know, you'd started to see it earlier on in the grand, you know, in like, uh, you know, in like the Grand Prix and something like that. Yeah. Or, or what would be one and stuff. But yeah, it, it was, it, it was absolutely amazing to give you guys an idea of some of the, some of the, some of the best. Um, I'm, I'm just going to kind of read off this list, just kind of pick what I pick, what I like and stuff of just very famous, you know, rear mid engine rear drive layouts, not the all wheel drives, just the mid engine rear drive, rear, Drive layouts, which I personally think is the most purest of all of them, um, because a lot of times they'll go to an all-wheel drive system to kind of counteract and and I don't know, it, it kind of takes away some of the some of some of the some of what the driver has to do. Right, all-wheel drive is used for
0: several reasons and several different applications. But moving past all that, because that that's a deep dive for another time. Yes, yeah. the most, most, the most famous, not famous, the most obvious example is the NSX, um, and then probably the current Bugattis. But so go, yeah. um, so mid engine. Yeah,
1: I'm just gonna kind behind of go... rear
0: wheel drive. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Uh. So Alfa Romeo 4C, like Matt just said, uh, the Aerial Atom, which is amazing. Uh, originally the 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 original BMW M1, um, the uh the Di Tommaso Pantera. The some of the Ferraris, um, you know, like the four five eight Italia, like we talked about the four eight eight, the Testarossa, the La Ferrari, uh, the Ford GT, um, NSX, also the Honda Beat. I know we don't get that too much in America, but look it up. It's a cute little car, and from what I understand, yeah, 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 it was a K car. Uh, The Jaguar XJ one, XJ two twenty. Uh, <laughs> Lamborghini. Let's just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everything Lamborghini's made since the Espada.
0: <laughs> except yeah,
1: yeah. The, except the well, well, the Mira, the Countach, the Diablo, the, you know, the tons of other stuff. The Gallardo, everything. Yeah. Everything um, made since
0: the Espada, except the Urus.
1: Yeah. Oh, and, and um, the LM002.
0: Sorry, not that one. Go ahead. <laughs> yes.
1: How could we forget that one? Uh, yeah lotus you know a lot of lotuses the europa you know the esprit the elise the exige the evora uh, the new one i think that's coming out the
0: um uh, oh, the electric
1: thing yeah yeah the electric well, one
0: electric, um, the
1: yeah yeah we're, just, we're we're gonna leave you know electrics out of this um you have uh the mclaren f1 yeah um, well, well all, all the
0: road-going McLarens, I think. Every one of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The Pagani, Huayra, and the Pagana Zonda. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, One after my own personal heart. I have a friend of mine's dad who had one of these. Uh, the Pontiac Fiero. So most of the Fieros were really underpowered things. Except for the 1989 Fiero, which had the V6. And it was amazing. Um, the uh, The Porsche nine fourteen, the Cayman, um, and Boxster, the Carrera GT. Um,
0: What's up? Porsche nine eighteen. Oh, well, that's, that's an all wheel yeah. drive, but but that's okay. So is the Aventador and the yeah. Gallardo. And the
1: well, some of the Gallardos were the, the that's early right Gallardos there. were that's right there the
0: limited drive gardens yes
1: yeah uh saline s seven uh the aforementioned m r two and MRS. um so MRS? yeah I mean that I think that was the the that MR spider that that last one that came out that was just
0: oh yeah 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 okay yeah uh, usually like on on the on the um deckcla it said spider
1: yeah, yeah. So I think that's what they're referring to when they have that. I, I'm I'm reading all this off of Wikipedia. That's, that's um, right. But yeah, yeah um, we, can, we can do our research.
0: <laughs> well, you know, what can I say? We have we have limited resources and limited time.
1: Yeah, and um, limited um, limited attention spans. Actually, I believe so. Yeah, that's
0: fair. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's. And now we can add to that list the c
1: eight um, so we can, and, even though it's not technically out yet, but yeah
0: let's let's be fair. Zach and I are not unequivocally fans of the c eight in terms of the driving experience or in terms of the design or even in terms of the interior or even the engineering as much uh, as not, well, I, mean, it... I, don't, I don't mean like like fanboy fans of like yeah. not you know. Oh, in an We're, eye, like can't we, wait to we it. can be appreciative. Exactly right. We're appreciative. What is amazing is the dollar value, and what is amazing is that it's such a massive sea change from what's been, what, what has existed in the Corvette for over fifty years. So that's a big. That's the, where the big deal comes from. Really.
1: Well, here, here's the big deal to me, and that is that you have this you're able to take a small block Chevy engine, which essentially goes back to the mid fifties. And, and, and now it's 60, 70 years later, it's still roughly the same basic architecture yeah it's that you're able run. to have. Yeah, yeah that you're able to have in a mid engine car pushing out let's just say five hundred horsepower because realistically, that is probably what it is
0: yeah I mean it's it was, just it's pretty special yeah um, absolutely a, a couple of years ago there were some racing teams, and I think it was imsa um, who were complaining uh in the paddock. That the C Seven R, which is the race car version of the current generation mm-hmm. Corvette, they're saying that that basically that they were cheating because their the te- the engine technology gave them such a competitive advantage, and the, the, the Corvette engineers came back to them and said, "Well, then just build a pushrod V eight of your own." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the Germans who were complaining, who shall remain unnamed. We're basically, would a, would a, well, of I, well like, I, I never, I've never, yeah, it's,
1: yeah. it's, this is it's absolutely silly. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a different way of doing it.
0: They both have their advantages, they both have their disadvantages. It's It's fine, yeah, well,
1: I mean, you know, for. For the fact that, you know, the Americans basically are like, well, we just decided to say, well, screw it to you, complexity, and we'll just make it more powerful. <laughs>
0: and, and, <laughs> right. And yes, a pushrod V8 does not rev to high RPMs nearly as well. It does not like being anywhere near the six, 7,000 range. But it's smaller, it's lighter, it has a lower center of gravity. All those things work in mm-hmm. its favor. And there's a guy out of Canada, I don't remember which province, who put one in the back of a DeLorean, and it's fantastic. And the car runs great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just... Important, but, you know, we talk about LSs. I mean, that's, that's basically an LS is a modern, well, modern in quotation marks, push rod V8 engine. So, um, okay. So, we talked about weight distribution a little bit, which is great. I want to talk about packaging.
1: Because that's where
0: things get weird.
1: Oh, you mean how they move it and shift it and, and your all of that type of stuff? What storage space? Okay,
0: since you brought it up, you should go ahead and run with this one.
1: So, I drove a, um, I drove, No, mind you, it's not, it's, it's not a mid-engine car, um, but, but no i'll 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 go with this so i drove a um a ferrari a nineteen eighty one ferrari three oh eight g t s i Quattrovolve. basically the the same car that is on Magnum p i um for those of you who are uh, as as old as good. um and it had Basically it had it had the spare tire in the front, which basically gave it like you could fit like maybe a three, you know, maybe maybe a spiral bound notebook. That's it. Um, and then in the back, there was a spot where if you had the target top in place, you could fit like a small duffel bag. But if you had the target top in place, you could fit Nothing. Open
0: oh, target top like removed like it was open air.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so you you took the little target top roof section piece out, fitted into the trunk area, right. and then, and then
0: you were, had nothing left.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this is a major
0: issue. Like in the in the Alfa Romeo 4C, um, basically you have enough room for a child suitcase, which essentially is roughly the size of an adult duffel bag, medium size. Yeah. Well, yeah, medium to small size duffel bag. That's it. That's it. You know, And, if, and a lot of the stuff that, that you can get with a car, like the uh, trickle charger that you'll need to make sure your starter battery doesn't go dead, not because it's Italian, honestly, but because of the fact that if you own a 4C, you are smart enough to realize that it is not a daily driver. It's not even a weekend driver. It's a once-a-month driver. Um, and uh, then you have things like there's a box a box the size of like an adult man's fist that you open up this gorgeous box and it has this plastic cylinder in it with sort of like teeth on the end whose only purpose is to help you remove the hewn aluminum oil filler cap for the engine because it's going to be hot. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So once you have those two things and a couple other bits and bobs, like your trunk area is gone
1: yeah well, I mean okay, to be fair with cargo space and trunk space and you know different practical thing practical elements that you're trying to add to this car there mr matt yes. let's let's just be honest with ourselves you're not buying this as like a grand tour you're not buying this to drive you know like across Europe or anything like that no you know no or but you're you're driving this to the office because it looks really cool and then you're trying to do you know some different things and stuff but but the
0: trouble is the corvette has been known at least since the c4 as being the kind of car that you can do a grand tour with you can drive it from say la to vegas with your spouse which means
1: well that's because as much as they love to think of the corvette as a sports car it's not I repeat, yeah. the sport, the Corvette is not a sports car. It is a Grand Tour. And basically what they're doing with the c 8 is they're trying to do the best of both worlds. They're trying to make it a sports car that can also be a Grand Tour with their frunk and in their, in their, in their rear thing.
0: Right. So in order to allow enough room for, let's call them American drivers, and we'll be nice about it, to have enough room in the footwells for their big feet, despite the fact that there's only two pedals.
1: They had well, to... Create... Cowboy boots. You have to make room for cowboy boots.
0: That's a horrible image, but you're absolutely right. Oh, God. So, how do they make enough room in the footwells? Because footwells are an issue in in mid-engine cars that are not in front-wheel drive cars, and why is that, Zach?
1: Uh, I mean, because you have to have enough crash <laughs> crash protection if they get into an accident
0: that's that's a big part of it yep yeah. also the suspension is different right because you in a in a mid-engine car you can have room for like push suspension and all that cool stuff you can do not that they necessarily would, but yeah. right which takes it all well, the linkages that make the front wheels which are super important behave in a, in a really linear way so it's extra predictable yeah. right or race car but softer yeah that's the kind of thing you can do with a mid-engine car because you're not worried about packaging with that huge engine and all the other doodads getting in the way. But yeah. Corvette people demand enough room that when the top is off, which is it's still a target, which is going to go in the back, that they still have room for their luggage and their spouse.
1: Yes. And as a result, this
0: Corvette is huge.
1: It is big. Matt, how big is it?
0: It's 182 inches long by 76, roughly, inches wide. Dang. And so it's 100 and how many inches long? 182. So it's longer than... 182. Just slightly longer than your average compact SUV, like a RAV4 or a Yep.
1: How long is an Accord? Uh, 192. Yeah. So you're within a foot of a Honda accord
0: mm-hmm. yeah less than a foot longer or less than a foot
1: yeah i think we can kind of you know kind of start to wrap this up matt because i think you know i mean yes it, it it's long because they wanted to add everything to it we'll just kind of have to see how that goes and stuff but you know packaging of a mid-size you know mid-size rear engine car um you know, you, you gotta make some compromises and the vast majority of that is going to be, you know, one interior space and two cargo. rooms. Yeah. You know, and, and there's just the, the way
0: it is. Um, it they definitely were helped by making it automatic only because they didn't have to worry about transmission tunnels and, you know, poking a hole through all that stuff and having room for three pedals in in the foot box and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah it's we i think we need to pick this up next week and and uh, or so and do a second part of mid-engine cars kind of more about sort of the history and more of the nuances because there's there's a lot of cool stuff going on with this that's really worth getting into like you know transverse versus longitudinal and all that kind of cool stuff
1: yeah i mean and, and i and i think we can kind of you know maybe put a pin in that and kind of uh you know once, once we get you know kind of an i better better idea of what we're kind of talking about and stuff like that and we haven't even gotten to you know to, to rear mid-engine all-wheel drive cars
0: yeah that'd be fun that's yeah that's so. dynamically that's a whole other ball game
1: yeah so uh yeah i think that's a podcast vroom vroom matt
0: fantastic good night